Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Today I want us to go to Genesis 2 and 24. Genesis 2 and 24. Well, how many of you... Uh, drove well through the early rain this morning. You know what the early rain means? It means this is farmer's happy time. I, I know we're not many farmers in here, and we're not happy about it, but what you're seeing there, that's called the early rain in the Bible. And the early rain's important because farmers had seed in the ground, and without the early rain, there could be no harvest, no harvest. And you say, what does that have to do with what's happening now? Well, do you know why we give adequate time, and some of you is like, man, it's too much time. No, it's adequate time to sing worship and songs to the Lord. You know why? Because that's like a farmer preparing the soil to receive the seed. And worship is us being prepared to get our eyes and get our heart aligned with Him who's worthy, as Pastor Craig talked about. Him who's deserving of our focus to get our consciousness off of our struggles and our righteousness and on the finished work of Jesus Christ to receive the word, to receive the word. And that's what's taking place here today. But in Genesis 2 and verse 24, the text says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. The title of the message today that I want to teach upon is Transformation for What Is. Moving from foundation for what should be to now today, transformation for what is. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I thank you that that name is above every name. And in that name, I'm asking that strongholds would be confronted and pulled down off of minds, that blinders would come down off of people's lives, that we would be able to see clearly truth and reality regarding our relationship with you and our relationship with our spouses and others. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move in hearts and minds, that you would make the eternal God become alive and real in a personal way to each of us. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Confirm your word with signs and wonders. Do the miraculous in our midst and we'll give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, last time in the message, uh, Foundation for What Should Be, we looked at foundational motives regarding marriage. They all started with C. The first is Christ-centered, that marriages exist for the glory and for the reflection of Jesus Christ. But then there's also concession. For those that have sexual desire and and passion, God has provided marriage in His kingdom as a biblical and a holy way to have sexual desires fulfilled in holy marriage and holy matrimony between one man and one woman. Then we talked about the issue of compatibility, that Eve was made... Uh, for Adam, and she was comparable. There was a likeness, a compatibility. Then we talked about contentment. 
of learning to be content in how our kingdom purpose can be fulfilled within the context of marriage or the context of remaining single and solely focused on kingdom activity and kingdom advancement. And then we talked about how all of that equates to our calling capacity that I'm not able to travel the world and to demonstrate the love of Christ to people without first living out my kingdom calling to have a healthy and whole godly marriage, to lead my home and my children and the things and the admonition of the Lord. And so we looked at all of that. Many, if not all of us, as we heard that, realized that we have fallen short of the great standard of God for marriage. Anybody with me? So that leaves us with the question, what now? What about now? What if I'm already married, been married? I'm going on 16 years. Some of you are going on five or two or more. But now that we're married and we've entered into marriage with maybe a wrong foundation, with some wrong motives, with some wrong ideas and expectations, what now? Well, it's now that you find an invitation today. No, we didn't give it to you in the physical where you came in on your seat and found the card that had your name on it and and your spouse's name, but there is an invitation today. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of God has an invitation with your name on it for every one of us. And this invitation is an invitation to now journey into a process. You say, well, what kind of process is this, Chad? It's a process of transformation. It's a process to have our expectations about marriage transformed. To have our foundation and our motives and our beliefs about marriage transformed. To have our experiences in our marriage transformed. I want to be very clear and bold up front today by the help of God to tell each and every one of you and those married today that there is hope. That God is a God that specializes in transformation. And therefore, because God is a God that specializes in transformation, transformation of our marriages is possible because transformation for us individually is possible. And as Pastor Craig already mentioned, marriage ultimately goes according to how the two individuals are personally transformed. That marriage doesn't create every issue we face. Marriage just reveals most of the issues we individually have brought into our marriage. But transformation is possible. And when you think about a process and a journey of transformation, I want to assure you that regardless of how difficult or how long such transformation may take for you and for your spouse and for your marriage, I want to assure you that on the other side, the benefits that will result are well worth the process. That just like the the prophet said and declared, there might be weeping for a season. There might be weeping for a night. But in the morning, after the process, there is joy. There is victory. There is a greater level of intimacy and satisfaction. 
So this brings us to our text that we read up front. There in Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Notice he says that shall be joined to his wife. This phrase includes the consummation of the marriage through the act of sexual intercourse. It is the establishing of a covenant bond before God and with each other. The physical consummation of the marriage is part of the foundation for the oneness of marriage. It is in this sexual union of a man with his wife that the two become one flesh. Paul refers to this reality in 1 Corinthians 6 and 16. He talks about it becoming a joining together, becoming one flesh. But notice the text doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, and they shall become one flesh. Notice the shall become. The shall become speaks to the process of leaving the family of origin and learning now in the union of marriage to act as one. Notice the key word there, learning. Learning how to act and operate as one. See, this process is no longer just thinking about ourselves in life. This process is no longer just Chad thinking about Chad when I make decisions. When I plan my priorities and my calendars, it's no longer me thinking just about myself because now that I'm married, I have been brought into a process, God says, of learning how the two, Chad and Michelle, can become one, one in pursuit, one in purpose, one in priorities and planning, one in our decision making. See, this is the process of me not just thinking about myself and you not just thinking about yourself, but now in marriage thinking about our spouse as ourselves. This is a learning process. So the question I got to ask you up front in love and in truth is are you a learner? Because marriage means we have now initiated this process of learning. But if you are not a learner, if you're one that's not in a posture to learn, then this process of becoming one is going to be hindered. It's going to be delayed. And it's going to make things more difficult. This is why marriage is such a tool for discipleship and becoming conformed to the image of Christ because a disciple, the very basic of the definition, is to be a learner. To be a learner. And this is why really marriages of those who are followers of Jesus Christ is to have a context and a posture different than marriages of those who do not follow Jesus Christ because those who are not following Jesus Christ or following the lead of another don't have to be in a posture of learning. But every one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, when we came to Christ, we came to Him with an awareness that He knows more than us. He knows the places He wants to lead us besides still waters. He knows the life and the life more abundant He wants to give us. And therefore, our heart and our mind and our posture is of one of learning. And therefore, if I'm already in a posture of learning as a follower of Jesus Christ, I also should remain in that posture and be willing to learn, willing to change, 
willing to be transformed in my marriage relationship with my spouse. It's like what Paul said in Philippians 2 and verse 4. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Not only do we learn this in the community of interacting with brothers and sisters and seekers and those that's on this journey of learning who Christ is and what Christ taught and what will be held accountable for before God with this life He's given us, but also in our marriage of learning to look out for the interest of our spouse. Putting our spouse before ourselves, putting others before ourselves. So we see from this scripture that when we talk about a transformation in our marriage for what now is to what can be, that marriage deals with leaving and learning. When you think about how do we really frame and really surround our marriage and what is this process going to be, it's going to really boil down to those two L's of leaving and learning. Leaving the family of origin, coming into a new marriage and a new context, and then this continual process of learning. The issue now, number one is, is that learning now requires unlearning. Then when we think about that the marriage process is a process of learning, the type of learning we're talking about that needs to happen is unlearning. There is much to be unlearned. By each and every one of us. In Genesis 2 and 25 it says in the beginning they were both naked. Adam and Eve were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. What does this mean? It means in the beginning, the first marriage experience, intimacy was there without any hint or residue of shame. There was nothing to overcome. There was nothing brought into the marriage union by Adam or Eve that was dysfunctional, that needed to be unlearned. There was nothing brought into the marriage where they had observed wrong habits, wrong words, wrong um, actions by their parents or their grandparents or on TV screens or in movie screens of dysfunctional marriages. In families, there was nothing to unlearn. But that's not where we find ourselves today. Because in Genesis 3 and verse 6 it says that later on in their marriage, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. You know what that's called? That's called new learning. They're learning something new here. And they knew. They got a new knowledge of something they didn't know before. And now they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. That's called new learning as well. They've taken up a hobby together. They've taken up a craft class together. And they made themselves coverings. This is all new learning. And in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Listen, that's new learning as well. They had never played hide and seek with God before. 
from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Jesus. The woman. She gave me of the tree and I ate. I mean, she told me whatever I set in front of you when it's dinner time, you better just shut up and eat it. Lord, just trying to work it out. No, no. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, you remember that serpent you created? He deceived me and I ate. Did you catch it? There's a lot of learning taking place. The eyes of both of them were opened in a new way. They had a conscience awareness that they were naked, something they were not aware of before. They're sewing together. They feared together. They hid together. They blamed together. Listen, they're learning a new way of living, but it's what the Bible and Scripture calls fleshly living. They're now learning a way to operate in the world and and live and to be married, listen, outside of God being their source and leader. But here's the key. All of this new learning that they experienced was a learning that God never intended for them to experience. I would just have to tell some people up front today that things that happened in your home growing up and things that you observed in marriage and maybe your grandparents and maybe things that you've seen in the world regarding marriages and dysfunction, I need you to understand that God never desired from the beginning when He created us on this earth to ever experience that type of learning. But they learned this new way of living of living contrary to God's grace and a relationship with Him and His power and His goodness and the pleasures that are at His right hand. Simply put, what this means for you and I who are married today, when we think about this process of learning, is simply put, there must be an unlearning regarding things we have seen and things that we see around us. Simply put, there must be an unlearning regarding what we focus on. Now, they had a focus of the consciousness of their nakedness. They now had an experience that everywhere they went, they had a nagging sense that something needed to be hidden and covered in their life. They say they're free, but inwardly there's a nagging thought, nagging accusations that they're not free. Simply put, there must be an unlearning regarding using the nakedness of our spouse for our personal gain. Did you know that that's a fleshly way of living? Where we manipulate and seek to leverage the weaknesses and the dysfunctions of our spouse to our own gain, for our own elevation, our own sense of being better or 
more qualified. Or This is fleshly living. Simply put, there must be an unlearning regarding misguided teamwork. They're working together. They're sewing together, but it's misguided. In so many marriages, they're, they're working together. They're trying to get this sense of, yes, we're married, we want it to work, but they don't realize is that they're sewing together They're making things together. They're working on a marriage together, but in a way that they never intended to know about or experience, and it's contrary to the way God wants us to work together. This is them responding to guilt. Simply put, there must be an unlearning regarding a cowardly fear of God and His purpose for our marriage. This is a cowardly fear one of hiding from God that stems from unbelief, results of sin, that God's best really wouldn't be for our best intent. But the case of the matter is, is our God who created us is love. He is filled with loving kindness. He is totally merciful and compassionate towards us in His creation. And Him who created marriage has the intent for it to be for our good, not our harm. But there's got to be an unlearning taking place in us that we don't hide our marriage from God as if we could create a better marriage on our own outside of God who created marriage in the first place. Simply put, there must be an unlearning regarding hiding in our dysfunction from God's best. This is what you see. They've now learned in marriage how to hide from God's best, but hide in their dysfunction, hide in their struggles, hide in their wrong thinking and the wrong practicing and the wrong pursuits. Simply put, there must be an unlearning regarding using our spouse as an excuse from pursuing and obeying God. Adam's blaming, it's the woman you gave me. If If she would do X, then God, I would obey you regarding Y. But the reason I'm in Z and sleeping on you, God, is because of that woman. But no, no, no. We got to unlearn that. And this is where so so many, if not every one of us, are in some marital issue. Because of the world of sin we live in, because of the sins of others, because of our own sins, now are learning to become one in the union of marriage requires there to be an unlearning. There must be a renewing of our mind. There must be a renewing of our vision. There must be a renewing of our expectation and trust in God regarding our marriage. And I just want to tell people today that this is why Dwelling Place exists. It is a context where we can all come as humble learners, no better than anybody else, no better than others, but we can position and posture ourselves before the God who created marriage so that we can unlearn things that God never intended for us to learn because of this broken, sinful world and as broken, sinful people that we have experienced and learned. DPs for that context. This is the power of Jesus' plan for a local church. You're not going to go and find 
anywhere else out there a context of people that are seeking to journey and to learn how to unlearn things God never intended for us to learn regarding our marriage. You're not going to find it. Some of you don't have fathers to turn to. Some of you don't have mothers and, and, and grandparents and siblings and people to turn to to help unlearn things that you've learned that's affecting your marriage. This is a context that God created for that to be. We're all sojourners in learning. We're all transformational people. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to cover. We're all in the same place and journey of needing to learn how to unlearn. So number one, learning now requires unlearning. Number two, we see that leaving now requires more learning. Why? Simply put, we now live in a period in our nation where more people are coming out of broken homes to enter into marriage and establishing their own homes. Think about that. Coming out of broken homes to establish beautiful, God-revering, blessed homes. That's why leaving now requires more learning. Notice the text speaks of God's standard for a family unit. It says a man shall leave his father and mother. Did you see it? What is the model of a complete family? By the one who created family? By the one who created homes and the idea of homes? God, a complete family is a father and mother. Now more than ever, men are coming out of incomplete homes. And yet they're seeking to make a complete home in marriage. Now you can understand that when a man leaves his family of origin, his home of origin, why now there is a requirement to learn more. Because they're coming out of homes where there wasn't the clear training and learning and admonition and modeling of God's design and God's best regarding relationships and marriage and how to live this life He has so graciously given us. Leaving now requires more learning. More learning. Many men are less equipped to leave and cleave today. Men are entering into marriage without having a healthy model they have learned from. They're entering into uncharted territory for them. Now listen to me. If you know anything about a common trait that shows itself in most men, it is that we are not normally good at asking for advice or directions. And yet here we are entering into an uncharted course, uncharted territory, and we already by default, by the effect of sin upon our life, not good at asking for direction or asking for advice. And what do we have? We have so many marriages that are lost. They're still married, but they're lost. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're heading. They don't know where they are. And that's why God comes to Adam and he has to say, where are you? And he says to us today in our marriages, where are you? Will you acknowledge that where you're at is uncharted territory? It's uncharted. There's knowledge you're missing. There's examples you didn't see. There's experiences you experienced that God never intended for you to experience. And there's things God intended for you to experience that you never experienced. And you're not prepared. You're not prepared. The good news is, is we serve a God who can prepare, a God who can transform. There's hope today, but we got to acknowledge that leaving now requires more learning. 
It's very interesting. Notice the text highlights the man's leaving of the family unit. It doesn't highlight the woman's leaving. Why, you might ask. Listen, I believe Scripture along with research tells us why. For the most part, the husband determines the culture, direction, and atmosphere of the home. Scripture refers to the husband as the head, as Jesus is the head of the church. Now, what does that mean? It means as the point person responsible for not only leading the home in God's will, but what is taking place in the home. We bring much influence and direction, husbands, into the marriage home. From a man to a man, we have to accept how Scripture highlights that as we go, so the home will go. That we're like the ultimate point person and gatekeeper for our home. John Gottman of the Gottman Institute says, this doesn't mean that a woman doesn't need to do her part. But the data proves, the data proves that a man's actions are the key variable that determines whether a relationship succeeds or fails. Do you see that? See, head, what is Jesus as the head? He says, I'm committed. He's committed to us that ultimately what takes place here is a reflection of Him. As a husband, as a point person in the head, in the home, we have to take ownership that ultimately what takes place here, I'm going to give an account for. And yet, incomplete homes make incomplete men. That's why now leaving the family of origin Coming in and establishing before God a new union in marriage, why now leaving requires so much more learning. Incomplete homes make immature men. Listen, incomplete homes make insecure men. You say, wait a minute, I know men all the time come to broken homes and they walk around like, you know, they're the biggest and the baddest and the smartest and the greatest. Yeah, that's just called insecurity. Insecurity is not just wailing and moaning and crying and throwing a pity party in a ditch. It's also trying to overcompensate outwardly from an inward nagging that I'm not ready and prepared. Incomplete homes make incompetent men. Now, I'm from a divorced home. So I'm not speaking to the reality of this truth outside of my experience in walking with Christ. But I stand here by the grace of God as an example that transformation is available. That the gospel is the answer to where there's been incomplete homes and broken marriages and men coming out not prepared that the God of all grace and glory is still competent through the power of His Word and Spirit to make us become the man and the husband He's created and can enable us to be. Can I hear an amen? But I also say that to tell you, single men, to tell you, married husband, that if you come from such dysfunction and brokenness, 
you should have even a greater sense of humility and need before God and before the community of needing to learn more. And if you are a female dating or planning on marrying a man like me, then you need to be very surrendered before Lord and not move in haste to make sure that they have had adequate process and time to learn by unlearning and to prepare for something that they've not seen that you find someone who is truly engaging in biblical discipleship and growing and allowing the transforming grace of God to deal with the dysfunctions. Are you with me? See, listen to me. Belinda Luscombe says, many sociologists and therapists agree that kids from what are known as intact marriages as a whole do better on most fronts than kids from divorced families. Unless the marriage is very high conflict. Not all children of divorce are the walking wounded their whole lives. But the stats are not encouraging. Research suggests that in the long term, children of divorced parents are more at risk of being poor, being unhealthy, having mental illness, not graduating from college, and getting divorced themselves. Studies have found that kids from divorced families face more challenges than those from parents who stayed married. Now our title of our message is transformation for what is. What is that your experience? And you find yourself experiencing something that you had no authority to change. My parents didn't ask me to give a vote when they were divorced. God never asked me what home to be born into. Listen, if you don't want to be a stat, then you need to learn from a great Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the point I'm making. If you don't want to be a stat, if you don't want to be the walking wounded, that'd be a good new reality show to show people their need for a Savior. Instead of the walking dead, the walking wounded. But if we don't want to just be the walking wounded, then we need to realize that there's a great warrior named Jesus who wars after our soul, who wants to complete us and who wants to help us unlearn what sin and brokenness in a messed up world has caused us to learn and to taste and experience. Can I hear an amen for the glory of Jesus and his power to transform and to cause us to rise above statistics and rise above our experiences that just because we come from that place, we don't have to live in self-pity and we don't have to live in brokenness all the days of our life, but he takes the ashes of our past and he raises up beautiful marriages, beautiful men and women of God, beautiful husbands and beautiful wives for his glory to demonstrate that he is a God of transformation. That he don't just can heal bodies, but he can heal minds and memories and souls and hurts. Hallelujah. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. You find the expression of that gospel being modeled through local churches. This is why we exist. This is why growth phases are here on Thursday. It's a context for mentoring to take place. That I can begin to observe older men and older husbands in ways that I could never observe my earthly father. 
that I can observe, you can observe marriages, that you wives can learn through observation and mentoring from godly, more mature in the Lord wives. Despite age, a Titus 2, that the older in faith are modeling and mentoring the younger in faith. This is the power of the local church. And let me tell you an awesome key benefit. It's free. Go to a counselor out there for all that you get here. You can't, number one, because you're sitting in a room. Just you and the counselor. Here, you're sitting in a room with people on a journey. And listen, one person's lesson from the Lord becomes a victory and a breakthrough for all of us. Woo! That's why the Bible says when one gets victory or when one suffers, we all suffer. But when God and His transforming grace transforms one of us in an area, it becomes a breakthrough for all of us. Why? Because we get to then see that victory lived out in them and it helps us in our pursuit. Woo! And that's what a leader is. A leader is not someone that's smarter or better. A leader just went before others to experience the transforming grace so that now the goodness of God is reflected and demonstrated through them. A leader's not better because they're higher or something. A leader means someone that leads and goes first. You can be a leader in this place by going first in some areas of unlearning some things. So what is it? Number one, learning now requires unlearning. Number two, leaving now requires more learning. And number three, loving now requires separating. Notice in parentheses. Don't, don't walk out here. The devil's a liar. I'm not talking about go get a divorce or physically separate. But listen, love now requires a type of separating. What do I mean? Well, let's look at this. An incomplete person coming from an incomplete home, is wanting to enter into a very difficult context called marriage of two becoming one. Can we acknowledge that about marriage, that it's not easy? And when you have an incomplete person that's looking for a companion to complete them, this leads to the destructive path of codependency. They say, what is codependency, Pastor Chad? Simply put, Defined by Dr. James Richards, codependency is to depend on someone for something that we have no right to expect from them. And this is when you have two people's dysfunctions working together, empowering further dysfunction. This is Adam and Eve working together. They're sewing together, but it's causing them to go further from God's best and they're hiding from God. They're moving away from God's best. They're working together, but the dysfunction is working together for more dysfunction. One's dysfunction empowers the other's dysfunction and vice versa, and it becomes an ongoing cycle of dysfunction. Notice in the text it says, after Adam and Eve had sinned, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What does that mean? Here's what it means. They're making a marriage based on their own ability. They're making a marriage based on their own ability to sew things together and hold things together and to band-aid and sweep things under the rug and they're just doing all they can together, watch this, to hide. 
to hide from any person who has any understanding of the ways of God in this earth already knows is you have dysfunction and so do I. And we're spending so much effort, so much money, so much energy trying to hold together, sew together, hide together in things that the eyes of God and those that understand humanity already knows. Listen, I don't come in here wondering if there's areas you need to be healed and ministered to. I come in here already knowing that. Why? Because I'm a sojourner like you. I'm a human like you. And unlike some of you, I had a lot more dysfunction that God had to transform before I could stand and be in this role and His high calling for my life. But that's Adam and Eve. They're sewing together. They're sewing things together and trying to keep things together based on their own intellect, their own wisdom, or what they've seen in the world. Well, the world's unraveling. And if you're going to try to sew the way the world's trying to keep it together, it's just going to be a continual rocky road. And I ain't talking about ice cream either. Even though sometimes ice cream in marriage is good for it. That's right. My wife gets happy. And this is where I'm learning to not take advantage of her when she's high on ice cream. See, we don't, we don't, sorry, we don't smoke pot and stuff in my family, so we're trying to deal with, you know, not getting high on ice cream. But listen, Adam and Eve, they're trying to experience oneness and intimacy on their own without God. Here's the other thing. They're also seeking to cover each other the way they deem best. This is how enablement happens. This is love gone wrong. This is love gone crazy. It's all the opposite of the love you read about in 1 Corinthians 13, a love that's patient and doesn't become angry and it's always kind and not envying, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, but protects, trusts, hopes, never fails. Because this is them thinking, I know best how to love. Problem is, the world goes, Loves the answer. Loves the answer. I mean, you go and talk to anybody out there. Loves the answer. The problem is, we don't know what love is. We got to unlearn our definition of what love is. Jesus was love in the flesh, and they crucified him for it. So, no, no, love's not the answer. Biblical love found in Jesus is the answer. And you say, why is that important? Because listen, they're not just sewing like cross-stitching. They're sewing, S-O-W-I-N-G. And the Bible says, you keep sewing to the flesh in your marriage, you're going to reap constant destruction and difficulty. There's got to be an unlearning. There's got to be a separating. A separating of what? Of what is cultural love, what is selfish love, and what is biblical God love. The love demonstrated in Jesus. You know why? Because we already saw last time together in James chapter 3 that self-love causes every evil thing to be there. When I understand love out of selfish ambition, then every evil thing's behind that love. There's a hidden motive behind everything I do for my wife. There's a hidden motive. It's all to ultimately serve me and my kingdom. That is self-love. There has to be a separating if we're going to experience God's best to what is the God kind of love. What is the love that gives even when it's rejected? What is the love that's kind even when someone's being unkind to you? What is the love that's patient even when you're dealing with someone that's unpatient? This is the God kind of love. That while I was 
in rebellion and resisting God, God was still pursuing me. But see, self-love can't do that. When my wife's angry, then I, okay, we're angry today. I didn't know, but now I get the memo. I see it on your face, on how you shut the cabinets, how you walk through. Fine, I guess it's one of those days. Well, I'm angry now too. Bless God, I can be angry too. Don't even know why. But I, I just, yeah, I guess we're angry today. Oh, we're depressed today? Okay, man, it's so bad. Listen, they're sewing together, but it's in dysfunction. Sewing together. And listen, divorce is not the answer, by the way. You know why? Because you get divorced and enter another marriage, you're still taking you with you. And the answer, as Pastor Craig mentioned, is that we each individually allow God to change us, transform us. That's why Dr. James Richards says, I came to, the, to realize, Casey, you can come on, that all we have, that we all have certain beliefs and opinions. We have certain needs and we display certain characteristics that always attract the same kind of person and people to us. We have become able on a subconscious level to read the verbal and nonverbal behavior of people. And we are drawn to a particular behavior without realizing why. This is why the chance of a divorce increases with each divorce statistically is because subconsciously dysfunctions keeps drawing the same type of dysfunctions in people to you until you allow God to transform you and transform I, transform all of us. Listen, there must be a transformation regarding what our relationship and togetherness is built on and around. There's got to be a separating and a sifting from our own ways of trying to achieve oneness to that of God's way of experiencing oneness. If not, we'll find ourselves today in 2018 like Adam and Eve and we're hiding together from God in His ways. If not like Adam and Eve, we'll together hide in our dysfunctions instead of being transformed to function as God has made possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this is where Genesis 3.21 is. The whole time, Adam and Eve, they're working hard. They're trying to achieve oneness. They're trying to get marriage to work. But they're depending on their own ability. They've now learned how to do life in the flesh depending on their own human ability. And they need to unlearn that because the whole time, God was there waiting. He's there waiting for each and every one of us. In Genesis 3.21, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. God who is love knows how to clothe us in our marriage. God who is love knows how to transform and how to hold our marriage together. He knows how to be the foundation of it. He knows how to be the circumference of it. He knows how to be the center of it. He knows how to be the strength of it. He knows how to be the purity and the faithfulness and the joy and the peace of it. God knows how to do it all. But as long as we don't learn to unlearn and learn to leave, God has already slain Jesus and provided His blood that can cleanse, that can cover, that can pull down wrong experiences, wrong perceptions, wrong attitudes, wrong thinking that affects our behavior towards our spouse and our home. He's there and able to. Religion is where we start coming in here 
we all try to play we have perfect marriages and we're perfect people that's religion this is a church a context to unlearn religion unlearn trying to hide what every one of us already understand that we've all experienced and tasted sin and sin has left a horrible bite and taste in our life this is a context for true transformation and then lastly number four living now requires dying Remember Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Oh my gosh, what in the world? Now I'm not great at math, but two becoming one. Uh-oh. It means one. I got that right. You saw that. I got the right finger down. It means one. One must die. Watch it again. For two to become one, one must die. And I want to tell you without the death, and you might not actually give the the middle finger to your spouse, but our experience and the words and the attitude of what will happen in our home will be just that. Because listen, Living now requires dying. For the process of two becoming one, there must be a death. Now listen to me. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to your spouse. Listen to me. I'm talking to you. It's a pastor who cares and loves for you. You will do everything possible to make an excuse to wait for your spouse to be the one that dies. But God, fearing reverence, accepts that you have already been called to be proactive in embracing death to self as a follower of Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Every follower of Christ, you already are called to be proactive to present your life as a living sacrifice. How long are you going to keep using your wife, your spouse, your husband's dysfunction as an excuse for you not to do what every follower of Christ, what we're all exhorted to do, and that's present your body to God to whom we'll give an account. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians 5.25. He says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Notice that. Jesus gave himself for the church but here it highlights one of the ways he gave himself for us he gives himself for us through his word and his word washes us it cleanses us and listen for a marriage to flourish a seed must be sown in death and Jesus said that believers are seeds of the kingdom you want to change the culture in your marriage, the experience in your marriage? You want a transformation for what is? I'll tell you what. Don't wait on your spouse. Go ahead and accept as a follower of Jesus Christ or as a person God calls you to sow yourself as a living sacrifice because there must be a seed that dies for there to be a different harvest and experience. This is the mystery of godliness. This is the mystery of two becoming one flesh, that in dying to self, the marriage lives more unto God. 
That in dying to self, your marriage experiences more of the fruit of God, the goodness of God, the blessing of God, the favor of God, the desires of God. Listen, you say, well, I'm waiting for my spouse, Chad. I'm waiting for them to die. I'm waiting for them to die to their selfish desires. Well, listen to me. We've been putting it before you all month. You just maybe hadn't seen it yet. Till death do us part. Listen to me. Until there's death, you're going to keep growing apart. Till death, we will keep growing apart. Until there's death in that area, a surrender of that issue, then in that area, there's going to keep being a growing apart. And a God-fearing follower of Jesus says, well, I'm not going to wait for my spouse for them to surrender and die in that area. I'm going to go first. Because that's what my Lord did. The Lord didn't wait for me to go first. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He went first to the cross. He went first. See, listen, Ephesians 5.32, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church, Tony. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Notice the context. Husbands... Love your own wife. Wives, respect your husband. Listen to me. There's many ways a husband embraces spiritual death to intentionally love his own wife. And there are many ways a wife can show respect to her husband. But I want to end by telling you one. And that's our words. I've been in full-time equipping ministry now for around 15 years. By God's grace, the people that I've talked to or counseled or listened to that have fights, by God's grace, it's not fist fights we're normally dealing with. What kind of fights are we talking about? We're talking about fights with our words. With our words. You say, why is starting with our words so important if we're going to have a transformation for what is in our marriage? I'll tell you why. The same reason the Gospel of John and John 1.1 opens in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of your marriage being transformed, in the beginning of you experiencing and unlearning of what you've learned, in the beginning of having a separation between selfish love and God love, in the beginning is our words. Listen, words carry what women are wired to desire. Emotional experiences. But words carry what men are wired to desire. Respect. Jesus, the Word, gave Himself for a cleansing of us and that we would be washed by the water of the Word. This is the principle of the cross. This is the principle of self-surrender. This is the principle of dying to self. It's seen by giving the spoken Word. Likewise, the Word of a husband can be a catalyst to sanctify, to cleanse, and to wash the wife. To wash the wife of lies of the enemy where bitterness and lies are trying to root to wash the enemy of wrong self-image and the images of the world that says if you don't look this way, if you don't act this way, then you're not seen beautiful. Listen, the 
words of a husband washes the wife from the junk of the world the lies of the world let me husbands give you some words that will wash and help your wife you ready I'm sorry I was wrong this washes the wife from I've married a jerk who thinks he's always right this is how you wash the mind from that wrong conclusion of the the enemy's trying to get in that spouse's mind let me tell you some more I ask for your forgiveness here's a good one you're appreciated because blank and you gotta fill in the blank you can't just say it generally I appreciate you because you are doing great and giving so much energy trust raising our children I find this attractive about you be specific men do you know why this is the principle of dying to self husbands for you to say such things to your spouse listen to me because statistically we speak a third or up to a fourth less words than our wives every day meaning if a wife starts seeing a husband that's giving these type of words the wife now knows that husband on the inside is taking up the cross because now something that's not natural for that husband is flowing out of that life the supernatural grace and work of God is operating wives it's your turn it says wives respect your husband Quit seeking to be his mom, modern day translation. Quit seeking to get him to change with your words. That's not a modern day. That's 1 Peter 3 1. Wives, you want to win over your husbands? You want to help your husbands actually change? It says husbands should be won over by the conduct of their wives without a word. See, constant words, husbands change. Husbands do this. Listen. That's considered nagging by Scripture. And you know why it's the principle of dying to self for a wife to not seek to win and change the husband by words, but through her conduct, through her respect? It's because women speak up to 8,000 words per day. The whole lesson is this. If we want to live and experience God's best for our marriage, there must be a dying of self so that Christ can do what's not natural for us through us and let God sew the marriage together. Let God heal the marriage. Let God strengthen the marriage. Let Christ do what only He can do as the foundation and chief cornerstone. Can I hear an amen? In conclusions, Proverbs 18.20 says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled death and life are in the power of the tongue those who love it will eat its fruit I'll tell you according to the authority of scripture that the fruit you're eating in your marriage you can find down that the beginning roots of it starts with the words notice that the satisfaction of marriage is related to our words if you're not satisfied then today understand there is a cross where the word of God hung and that cross has power to change our hearts so that what flows out of our words would build up our spouse. That the supernatural grace of God would do through each of us, husband and wife, what is not natural for us. 
for us men to talk more. For us women not to talk, at least in the wrong way, more. See, when we speak about everything, we lessen our influence to speak up on what is necessary. You remember Adam and Eve's, their eyes were open to see good and evil? You remember that? The next time you're angry, here's what I want you to today in conclusion ask the Lord to help you with. Now that your eyes are open to see good and evil in your home and in your spouse, I want you to ask the Lord to help you to not speak up regarding what your eyes have seen until you first close your eyes in prayer to what you've seen about your spouse. Because in prayer, the surrender can come so that you don't speak based and from the foundation of selfishness, but you speak based off the love of God. Close your eyes and bow your heads. You're here today. I want you to know that ultimately... For the beginning of the transformation to take place in your own life individually that God gave the word. He gave Jesus for you. That God so loved the world that he sent the world, he sent his son not to condemn us for we were condemned already. That he might forgive and restore and bring us back to him. Maybe you're here today and you got challenges in your marriage. I want to tell you that until there's death, yes, you'll continue to grow apart. Until there's death, you'll keep showing things that God never intended you to learn, but there's got to be a learning to unlearn. Learning to leave. There's got to be a separation between self-love and biblical love. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.